and welcome to episode 118 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, we are talking playoffs and dissecting the favorite, Kyle Larson. Can he win? Of course, but more importantly, can he really fail? We're answering everything five-team related, that plus our big Darlington preview. But first, as always, we start with a quick look back at the very first race at Darlington, the 1950 Southern 500. David, 71 years ago, nearly to the day of this podcast coming out, the first Southern 500 went green on that egg-shaped oval. 75 cars started the race. What? Despite what you may expect, there were only two cautions. What? For just 13 of the 400 laps. The race took 6 hours, 38 minutes. Johnny Mans took the lead at lap 50 and never looked back. Yes, he led the final 351 laps for a final margin of victory of 9 laps. David, I don't know where to start with you. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on everything I just said. Yep. I mean, you've (laughs) you've pretty much nailed it. Um, There's a lot happening with this race. First of all, commend track promoter Harold Brazington for doing such a fine job building a facility that has lasted the test of time. I mean, there is a a streaming show on Peacock about lost speedways. Darlington is not one of them uh, that speaks to the foresight of what this racetrack was, the shape. It's still competitive as hell. It is quintessential NASCAR. But the execution of this first race contained a lot of gimmicks that in hindsight were unnecessary and maybe in foresight also unnecessary. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned the 75 car starting field, 82 cars total showed up to qualify. And Harold Brazington was a big fan of the Indianapolis 500 and he wanted to make this event have that kind of vibe. And he had a week long qualifying process, which it, I mean, it seems like this was largely overkill because 75 cars started the race <laughs> and and they were three abreast, 25 rows deep because again, Andy, and also I, I think that's how you fit them all onto the racetrack. One of the cars that successfully qualified on time was that of Hall of Famer Herb Thomas, but this was in a true sense, a stock car racing era, so much so that Herb's race car was repoed between qualifying (laughs) and race time. So he was forced to withdraw from the race. Don't feel bad for Herb. He went on to become Darlington's, I wouldn't say first dominator, but you know, first standout driver. Hmm. The race itself, as you mentioned, it, it, it is completely atypical to what we would expect of a Darlington race. Um, back then. And and I guess now, but it was a a war of attrition, as you can probably imagine. There wasn't a singular tire manufacturer with a NASCAR at the time. It was just run what you have. And hardly any tire could withstand Darlington's surface for 500 miles. And that's in part how Johnny Mance, who we should say from Long Beach, California, became the inaugural winner of the Southern 500. And that was his only win at NASCAR's top level. He only ever made 12 starts. So yeah, it it was, it was kind of, uh, that was it. That was, that was his moment within NASCAR. You mentioned the margin of victory, nine laps, runner up fireball Roberts 
trailed Mance by nine laps at the time of the finish. When folks tell you that NASCAR is a joke, no longer a competition, pro wrestling, if you will, by all means, point to some of these early Darlington races, including this one, because regardless of rules package, I think I prefer the era we're in now to uh, the formative years of stock car racing. I did not know of Johnny Mance's uh, real lack of experience, if you will, or just you know not staying around that long, because if you don't know, the winner of the Southern 500 gets the Johnny Mance trophy. So he, he certainly carved out a, a legacy for himself in not much time in here in the Cup Series. Did he get a parking spot? Uh, he should, right? Uh, yeah, if you, if you go to Darlington, you can see all former winners have their, their name on a parking spot right near the pit wall. So they get preferred parking if you are down there. And, and David, part of that, the history of it, and they do the throwback and you know all the stuff we just discussed about the first race. Uh, that's what's so cool about Darlington, right? All these years later, it's still... 500 miles on the egg-shaped oval. I know they, you know, flip-flop the the front stretch and back stretch at some point. They've clearly added some new surface, all that stuff, what have you. But it is still 500 miles on the egg-shaped oval after all these years. And to me, it just doesn't get much cooler than that. Indeed. Give me all your weird-shaped tracks. Hashtag <laughs> more weird tracks. That's what I want to see. Nothing, nothing else. I, I, I want to get really crazy. And Darlington was the first one to do that. And oh, by the way, it's typically a fine race. I, I've enjoyed the last few uh, Darlington races, regardless of the rules package, and uh, pretty excited for this one that we got coming up this weekend. Looking forward to it. I look back at the first Southern 500 way back in 1950. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed david the playoffs are finally here they are upon us 26 week rate 26 race regular season is done the 10 race playoff is here to determine a champion in the nascar cup series so let us preview it in a way befitting of positive regression we'll do a preview that's entirely about Kyle Larson. David, why? Because he is the favorite. I've seen some Vegas odds, David, that list Larson as the favorite, but as a two-to-one favorite to win the title. I mean, two-to-one out of the 16 drivers, out of all the talent, out of the odd kind of format that crowns a champion. Some Vegas odds, you know, I know how they work with betters and everything, but still to see him at two-to-one, goodness. I I agree he's the favorite. Two-to-one seems a little crazy to me, but we will dissect it, right? First and foremost, Can anyone actually defeat Kyle Larson for the championship? Simple answer. I'll start with that, David, and then I'll let you get into it. 
The simple answer is absolutely, right? I feel like we have to go back just uh, to Truex, right? A few years ago is the last time, to me anyway, the actual favorite won the championship. Would you agree there? I mean, you go back a few years, pre-playoff favorite actually winning the championship. To me, it's Truex. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it kind of ebbs and flows from from year to year, right? Because last year felt like a toss up kind of going okay. going into the playoffs. I don't know that there was a clear favorite and not to uh uh spoil anything, I'm not sure there's a clear favorite this year either. Ooh, well that's what we're getting into because yeah, so can anyone actually defeat Kyle Larson? Yes, it can be done because as we just said, the favorite has not won in some of the past few years, but the nitty-gritty is who can do it? How can they do it? David, I'll let you start there. Can anyone actually defeat Kyle Larson? Oh, of course. Uh, even if Kyle Larson gets through the first three rounds, Phoenix Raceway presents an interesting problem. And it's not that he's bad there. His record with Chip Ganassi Racing was pretty good. And he scored a high adjusted pass efficiency in the spring. But what he lacked was race winning speed. He had the fifth fastest car in terms of median lap rank. Its best lap ranked ninth. In the top end form of speed, it wasn't even the fastest Hendrick car in the spring race. That belonged to Chase Elliott. And this is without considering how good Joe Gibbs Racing was in the spring or Team Penske across oh, the last three races at Phoenix, really. Larson is entirely beatable only because other organizations have thrown considerable time and resources into being good at this specific racetrack. So not to take anything away from Larson, but his relevance as a title contender, and I'm I'm sure he'll do everything he can possibly do, but what's going to assist his chance of winning this title is if some of those teams that were good at Phoenix and and still are good until we see otherwise gain championship for eligibility for themselves. If his competition is Chase Elliott, a JGR car and a Penske car come championship race day, I'm not so sure he makes it out of there with a title. Interesting. Uh, that that is one way. And again, this goes back to the format, which I, to me is it's crazy to have a favorite, any favorite, as a two to one favorite, much less uh, you know certainly one driver. But uh, I have to agree with you. That's what I, I wrote down here: Truex, Chase, Penske. You know, when you wrote the who and the how, those uh, couple drivers come to mind because you have to win Phoenix. It's not just the best team; it's how you win Phoenix. Question two, David. Could Kyle Larson fail to even qualify for the championship four? Again, I'll set the table on this. Easy answer. Absolutely. (laughs) We have seen favorites fall before. We've seen bad luck. We have seen ill-timed, poor performance, right? David, we only need to look back one year. Kevin Harvick, everybody thought, automatic ticket to the final, right? Well, now, and it's really important to point out, Harvick didn't have three bad races in the final eight, David. Some people don't remember that. He finished second at Kansas, meaning it only took two bad races to take him out of contention as the you know presumed favorite. It took only two of those three races to take him out of contention. And I say that again to set the table that, of course, it's possible 
Kyle Larson fails to qualify for the championship four. Uh, you know, Kevin Harvick ran into a weak spot last year. His weak spot happened to be Martinsville, finished 15th and 17th last year at Martinsville. That was part of the path to getting to the, the final four at Phoenix. David, is there a potential weak spot for Kyle Larson? Kevin Harvick had 2,057 points going into last year's playoffs. He ended up winning the opener at, at Darlington and later at Bristol. So he padded that point total. And he still had that nightmare round that you spoke of that cost him a championship four spot. Larson has five less points than Harvick did coming into the playoffs. The advantage that Larson has, though, is a 28-point gap to the nearest driver. Harvick had to deal with Denny Hamlin, who only had 10 less points. So in that sense... Larson's a little better suited to take advantage of being the number one seed, but even that can be questioned. Harvick, during the regular season, averaged 43.5 points per race on tracks that he would later see in the playoffs, and that was the most of any driver by a fair margin. Larson, for all of his perceived dominance, ranked fifth in points on playoff tracks, and Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex are first and second and mm-hmm. separated by over eight points per race to the third place driver. And that's William Byron. So Larson wasn't even the most productive point getter on playoff tracks from his own stable. The cushion that Larson has is there for a reason. Uh, he had a better regular season than anyone. No one is discounting that and to the victory of the spoils, but he cannot simply rely on that cushion to carry him forward. He's going to have to attack these playoff tracks, both early in order to pad points for later rounds, and in that penultimate round, especially Kansas and Texas, and I think it's really Texas here since he won the All-Star race, winning his insurance against a bad race at Martinsville, which, like Harvick, is a track he's voiced in the past that he doesn't like all that much. And as we saw last year at Martinsville, things can go south in a hurry. And that's one benefit. You know, we talk the 750 tracks, but that, that round of final eight has two 550 tracks, one that he won at. So uh, it, I'll be at the all-star race, Kyle Larson, but you could envision him winning Kansas, couldn't you? And, and having to avoid Martinsville altogether. Are there any hiccups before that? Are there any tracks where Larson seems the most beatable other than, I, I guess, maybe Martinsville, as we said? See, I feel the only track where he has a distinct advantage sort of all to himself is Texas. Hmm. Uh, he won at Las Vegas earlier this year, and that was a good win. But Chase Elliott turned the fastest lap of that race. He couldn't figure out a handling balance, and he finished 13th. He's good on all of these tracks, uh, save for Richmond, and I know he has a a win there, but that's sort of an aberration uh, for the rest of his career. But considering how the playoff schedule is structured, majority 750 tracks, we only have to look back to New Hampshire to understand who came to the surface, because that might be more like what we're going to see going forward than what was normal during this past summer when Hendrick Motorsports dominated. Uh, New Hampshire, I'm using it as a proxy here, everything was just flip-flopped, completely different. Team Penske was fast, Hendrick 
struggled, and that included Larson. Larson won five times in the regular season, but just once on a playoff track. Martin Truex won three playoff tracks. So who is exactly better suited for the playoffs? I'm not so sure that that's clear. Interesting, David, because, and I always think about, and I'll pose this question to you. I mean, Martin Truex Jr.'s wins have not been recent. They were important, right? They were at tracks like Darlington, like uh, Martinsville. I mean, these 750 tracks, important wins, of course, in Phoenix, the big one, but they were a few months ago. How much stock are you still putting into them? I think we have to put a lot of stock in it. If we believe everything that Truex said and that James Small said, they worked on their Phoenix setup all offseason. They knew what they they wanted to have or at least tap into speed-wise at Martinsville. And, and Darlington, n- nobody could sniff them. Uh, L- Larson came close, but the, the long-run nature of that car was just unrelenting. So... I think that we have to take into account what we've seen. It was a tremendous change from the Joe Gibbs racing that we saw last year that tried to be everything on every racetrack to uh, more of a, a, like Penske, this specialized race team that probably took them out of contention uh, at some of the 550 tracks. uh, And and certainly they hibernated, I guess, uh, during the summer months, Truex and Hamlin uh, especially. But we saw them. We saw them win and dominate at these tracks that are in this playoffs. How can we not consider that? All right. And as we've said before on this podcast, you know, we've brought up that uh, the last few champions maybe haven't had the, the the best first four or five months of the season. And then they, they come on and kind of surprise us. So maybe maybe the 19 is coming back or, you know, maybe they've as you said, they've been planning for this uh, the whole year, as you should, because a championship is won in Phoenix. David, third question. Is Larson and his five team even the best team heading into the playoffs? Now, before I let you answer, again, let me just set the table. According to the latest update on Motorsports Analytics, best overall driver in terms of performance is Kyle Larson. He has the best restarting percentage. He is a top two passer on 750s. He's a top two passer amongst the contenders on the 550 tracks. He has the fastest overall car in the series. Cliff Daniels, among big contenders, the best crew chief when it comes to retaining a spot from a top five position during green flag pit cycles. David, all of that, how does that compare to the now of heading into the playoffs and starting? Because all everything I just mentioned is over the, the 26 race regular season. How does that compare to the now and are they the best team? I can confirm everything that you said is accurate, but we do not reward a championship based on cumulative effort. So if we consider just the tracks that have been visited recently uh, that have representation in the playoffs, no, I think Kyle Larson is quite vulnerable. They're one of the good teams, but he's going to have some stiff competition. And and I think all of JGR, uh, Hamlin, Truex, Bush, and perhaps even Christopher Bell, JGR is the bomb under the chair. Of this year's playoffs. It, it's it's there. Everyone knows it's there. It might go off. It might not. And if it does, it's going to be massive and utter chaos. If we think back to what we saw last year at Phoenix, Denny Hamlin was the only JGR car eligible for the championship. And he left Phoenix last year without a title. And in his post-race reaction, he 
said that they made no mistakes that day. He did everything that he possibly could. They did not have the speed to compete. And he said it was a learning experience. So he came back this year and while he didn't win, uh, and he's laughed and he's laughed at right on, on social media for, for being winless, he's improved his point total on playoff tracks in the regular season by a whopping 17 points per race. Whoa, per race. I think you're going to stop at 17. Holy no, crap. No, he, he had the fastest car at Martinsville. He had the fastest car for the whole of the Phoenix race. So of all the winless teams in NASCAR history, this one is by far the most dangerous. <laughs> and equally, Martin Truex won these races that we've talked about uh, at Phoenix, at Martinsville. Uh, at Phoenix, he had the fastest car in the final stage. And he actually beat Joey Logano from a non-preferred groove restarting spot right after Logano had built a four second lead uh, just prior to that, made that pass and won the race. It is a bit troubling that it sure didn't seem as if Hamlin and Truex optimized for these last few months. But I believe you and I called that from the get go. We said that that's a possibility and this is very likely going to be the summer of Hendrick. Well, that's kind of what happened. Uh, there was nothing to learn, really, and nothing truly at stake during the summer months. And, uh, you know, n- knowing <laughs> knowing what they were able to do earlier in the season and then what they proceeded to do later in the regular season, they can't go out this weekend at Darlington and fall flat on their face. But as I said right now, they are two serious title threats. And a third one that Larson is going to have to deal with, I suspect, is going to come from his own shop, and that's Chase Elliott. Because in terms of average median lap time, Elliott ranks seventh, but he ranks second in average best lap time, meaning he absolutely has a fast car, if only for one lap, at his disposal. But it isn't a speed that's sustained very well during the regular season. And how I am choosing to view that right now is that it's a gap that could potentially close. And if it does, that means we've yet to see the best of Chase Elliott, the reigning champion in 2021. And if it clicks across these 10 races, it's possible that he is really on even footing with Larson in terms of speed and potentially the championship favorite. But that's a big if. Uh, The speed can be measured. It is there. The top end speed is there. But Elliott could not string it along long enough during the regular season for that to truly manifest in anything tangible. So how long does that keep going? Because at some point, they turn the corner because that big of a disconnect is it's large. It's unsustainable. And if that change happens, that correction before Phoenix, then I think everyone is in a lot of trouble. One name you haven't mentioned is Ryan Blaney. And I just want to touch on him only because he's won the last two races and the more casual fan or just anybody that believes in momentum. Hey, Ryan Blaney is hitting it well at a great time because the playoffs are about to start. So I must ask you about the 12 team. What do you think? Momentum is fantastic for morale. 
Uh, I don't think he's going to be taking his Daytona car to Darlington. <laughs> but but you know, speaking speaking to Blaney, he has the top peer across the last eight races. If we're just looking across the last eight, none of those are playoff tracks. New Hampshire might have the closest representation, and he was fast at New Hampshire. So it's something to consider. But they have leaned towards 550 a little more than maybe I originally thought. And the same can be said for Brad Keselowski at TM Penske. Hmm. So to expect something uh, from Blaney, a leap is going to have to happen. Uh, if we're just solely going by what he was able to accomplish at these tracks during the regular season, there's there's something to be gained. L- Logano is is going to be the one that other teams are fearing the most because again, he had the four second lead at Phoenix. He was fast there. He's fast at Martinsville. Ryan Blaney's fast at Martinsville, but he's not. He doesn't have that kind of universal speed yet at all of these racetracks, um, similar to what Joey Logano can accomplish. So. Now would be a good time to see kind of that next level from Ryan Blaney, but that's a big if, and we're relying on something that we haven't totally seen as of yet. All right, that's fair, and we're not really the type of podcast to make you know huge specific predictions and tell you about our playoff tree and final four and championship picks, but we do like to get super specific. So, David, I'll, I'll surprise you here, and I'm going to ask you: give me a super specific prediction for the playoffs anything you want hendrick motorsports won 11 of the 26 regular season races that is more than any organization i don't believe they will rank first in that category across these next 10 races so some other organization wins a majority of the races or leads and wins leads and wins yeah yeah i I think if, if for for Joe Gibbs Racing to really not take part uh, with a full throated effort across the summer months, it better have it better be for a grand plan. And if that doesn't work, then we talked a week ago about if if missing the playoffs is a failure, then this is a colossal failure, just a, a, a misfire of epic proportions. And I don't think. They have fallen off that much. There is there is certainly something left. We haven't seen the full extent of what they offer, and I do think it's going to manifest in wins. All right, that's fair. Uh, it, it's interesting because of the regular season that Hendrick Motorsports had and what they could potentially do in the playoffs. I'll get super specific by starting with rattling off some stats. Uh, fourth place, fourth place. And second on the last lap, what am I talking about, David? I'm talking about the three drafting tracks and what Kevin Harvick was doing at those tracks so far this season. Fourth at Daytona, fourth at Talladega, running second on the backstretch at Daytona at the regular season finale. David, my super specific prediction for the playoffs is that Kevin Harvick wins Talladega and vaults himself into the final eight. What do you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, that's certainly believable based on what we've seen from SHR 
all season long at drafting tracks. Um, I think there's <laughs> there's going to be another fierce battle towards the end of the the race at Talladega. So that wouldn't shock me. Um, he's won there before, uh, so yeah. it, it, you know it's not it's not a, a surprise win. We just haven't seen it in a while, and it's. And in all honesty, it might be, you're right. It's, it would be a win that he needs, but it's just a performance in general that we need to see from him. All right. We'll see uh, if we are correct. Good start to our playoff preview for 2021. Looking forward to getting it started. And of course, it starts at Darlington, as we were been talking about for much of this episode, the Southern 500 on Sunday night, Labor Day weekend. So we'll do a little first round previewing, right? Uh, this race, the Darlington race, we might see some dueling strategies in, in this race in the next few. You know, could the teams lacking in playoff points, can you strategize for optimizing stages, hence points, over the, the finish of the race, David, do you think we see that? And does this first race in Darlington and maybe the first three, do, do they allow for those strategies? I mean, certainly with the competition caution. I mean, we're going to see this at a lot of tracks during the playoffs. That first stage, uh, we have to consider that all the playoff teams are starting from inside the top 16. Is that right? Uh, that's where we can see this begin. Uh, the competition caution the stage break itself, they can be gamed a little, uh, perhaps pit ahead of the competition caution to inherit track position for the ensuing restart and take your chances from there. That's if you're gunning for stage points. If you have your designs on a win and you're not in the position to win the stage, it might be better to pit ahead of the stage break. And I don't think anything is going to surprises there are there are some haves and have nots within this playoff field but uh, you know michael mcdowell eric almarola tyler reddick did this all year so i mean it's in his wheelhouse maybe christopher bell too they need to pad points in order to stave off elimination and just have anything to fall back on and you know in the odd case that there there is a mishap or a bad race um that does not have to come from the results. And we need to keep that in mind because the, the stages in these, I mean, certainly these next three weeks are going to be crucial to playoff survival. Yeah. And we, we've seen it before in, in other previous years with, with the playoff system and, you know, drivers that you may not expect getting by on points because they collect them and which is the strategy to do maybe hard at Darlington with the tire wear and everything they have there trying to flip some of those fields but we'll see that's what we're here to do we're here to preview right they have been to Darlington with the 750 horsepower package they were there earlier this year at the spring race um that was only a 400 mile race, David, six caution flags, including the stages sort of weird because th that race in the spring had nine runs of seven laps or less, but also three runs of 60 laps or more. So when you look back and study that spring race at Darlington, do you take anything away from it? What should we look at? I think it was the tire fall off for me, you know, it was two seconds worth of fall off on worn tires and that's a lot to overcome. Um, but minimizing the number of pit stops, you know, getting to a point where you have one less stop, which if I recall is what Ross Chastain and uh Kruchief old surgeon were, were going for in the spring race. It makes sense in a bid for track position. It makes sense to conserve your tire allotment and it is a bet on a caution. So it's a lot of things. It's still an incredibly bad risk, but hmm. it is accepted because 
this is the cup series. Track position is always hard to come by. And the track and the race allows for this much of a gain on fresh tires. Even if you long pit and the bid completely fails, at the very least, you will look like Superman for (laughs) 10 to 15 laps relative to the rest of the field. And that's how someone can dig themselves out of a hole, if not all the way, partially. Okay. Uh, Certainly when you look back, you know, real estate to be gained, potential positions, points, everything to be gained. How about those restarts? Like I mentioned, like I said, there were some short runs in that spring race, which, you know, led to, uh, you know, piling those cars back up and and jumbling back up for a restart. So uh, what'd you glean from any of the restarts in the spring race? Yeah, just the six clean restarts uh, that you mentioned in the spring. Uh, We saw enough, though, to understand the disparity. From the first row, cars in the inside groove retained position 83% of the time compared to 50% from the outside groove. But from rows two on back, the entire dynamic flipped, uh, looking at about a 97% retention rate uh, compared to 34% disparity that favors cars restarting from the outside so the choose rule is going to be in effect the outside groove should be coveted okay um and speaking of the choose rule i mean just got to shout that out a few weeks ago when blaney you know thrust himself to the front because of the choose rule i thought that was pretty cool it made me appreciate the choose rule david yeah and i think you i think you need to know your car i think you need to know who's up there what you're able to do and then understand that if you're taking some gambles the odds are against you but you need to know what you're going to do with those gambles uh even then alex bowman at pocono lining up in what was technically the second best restarting spot shame on the two or three cars that didn't uh, uh, comprehend that uh, before him, but he took that spot and then he also knew how to launch and at least make the restart feisty. And that's kind of what you have to do. That's what we've always talked about. The choose rule isn't merely who knows math the best. It's who understands the strengths and weaknesses of every spot and then is able to go out and execute the restart, which is what Ryan Blaney did. All right, quick lesson there about restarts. Apologize. Let's get back to Darlington. But uh, in in that spring race, David, the long runs really prevailed, right? So should we expect the same? I mean, it it is the playoff now. Do we expect the short runs to be a little more abundant, whether that means more crashes or what have you? Or do you think they could be more important toward the end of the race? Because again, in in the spring, it seems like the long runs uh, won out, if you will. Yeah, just the environment should put you on high alert this weekend because it's going to be hotter, meaning the track will be slicker. And this is the fullest throated horsepower we have in the series right now. So drivers will be doing their fair share of uh, dancing on the throttle. A lot can go wrong, but we've talked about this in the past, setting up for long runs or short runs. The answer I firmly believe is you do you uh, set up, how you think you will most likely succeed, not based on trends or guesswork, uh, because no race is unanimously a good race across the full field, uh, because things like caution volumes and restart totals change from race to race. The timing of them changes. Every driver and team has strengths and weaknesses. Ultimately, you set up for your strengths in order to capitalize on 
the possibility of a race breaking in your favor. Uh, if you're terrible on restarts, are you actually going to take advantage of a short run <laughs> setup? Probably not, right? So, well, but that's the question, right? Who benefits? It's one of my favorite things you keep stats of, right? Who benefits when a race is breaking crazy, if you will? Who benefits in races with more restarts toward the end? Well, I mean, looking at the playoff field, uh, I mean these these are these are good drivers for a reason. Larson is fine, Elliott is fine. There are a few drivers who cover their tracks well. Hamlin, Harvick, Blaney, all good regardless of caution volume. But Joey Logano excels when there's a higher than average caution volume based on his peer split. Uh, Christopher Bell does as well, and given his performance this season on 750 tracks, I think that's interesting going into Darlington. And there are guys who lose in this scenario. Um, and this is sort of odd given how good they are on restarts and short runs. But Brad Keselowski, William Byron, hmm. Kyle Busch, they, at least on paper, are in some trouble solely based on their peer splits. And I mean, they're playoff guys. So throw in Tyler Reddick and Michael McDowell, too, uh, below average restarters. And that is a foible that does materialize in their peer in these scenarios. So, you know, it's it's a it's a horses for courses thing. You you don't know how the race is going to break. You just prepare for success. All right, that's fair enough. We are armed with data. We are prepared for success. David, I will let you start. Who is your pick to win the Southern 500? Martin Truex Ooh. led 85% of the race in the spring. For good reason, he had the fastest car. If this race happens to break chaotic, like we just spoke about, and this is kind of weird. Uh, we've known him as the clean race driver for years, but his peer split this season is actually higher in races with higher than average caution volume. So at least on paper, he's well-suited uh, regardless. All right. You take Martin Trix Jr., the veteran. David, for me, I, this was tough for me because 500 miles, the Southern 500, the playoff, I always lean toward the veteran. You know, it, it would have been easy for me to say Martin Trix Jr., Denny Hamlin, who I really want to go with because he's running the Xfinity race as well. But I'm taking a, bit of, a little bit of a risk. Uh, maybe some new blood rising. I'm going with William Byron. Surprise, world. Uh, third at Nashville. Third at Pocono. Fourth at Darlington earlier this year. All 750 tracks, obviously. Uh, and, you know, why not a surprise? I always say I'm a sucker for a good story. But I, I think I have at least a little bit of merit that if he is to rise to the occasion, and this is kind of a, a coming out playoff party, William Byron wins the Southern 500. What do you think? So within Hendrick, you are betting on Byron against a Kyle Larson. At this race, sure. Yeah. This weekend. Okay. Yes. I all am. right. No, I, I, I'm, I'm interested. I am, I'm ready to hear all sorts of takes about this. Can't wait. Let us have it. I like the stats. It's, it's more, uh, more heart than head, I guess. So uh, you take Willie B. You go, I take Willie B. You're taking Martin Trex Jr. And then we always go with our contrarian picks. Who you got for your contrarian pick? Maybe someone that surprises us, punches above their weight class, however you want to interpret it. Who's your contrarian pick? Yes, I think it will be someone uh, who surprises us and punches above their weight class this year. Kevin Harvick. Ooh. He turned the fastest lap in the Darlington Spring Race. He ranked fifth in median lap time, and he finished sixth. I think he can do better. 
I believe he can compete for a win or a bounty of points, which I think at this point we're just going to take as a de facto win uh, as a playoff, uh, a winless playoff driver. He is in need of that right now. He has rarely been in this situation in the playoffs. So I am very interested to see how Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers approach the first round. I also went with SHR, except I'm going with Eric Almirola. Uh, I can't ignore the speed he had in Nashville. Obviously can't ignore what he did in Loudoun. Talked to him this week during the NASCAR playoffs media sessions. Uh, Very much of the mindset of throwing out the regular season, of cutting it off and saying like, you know, the next 10 races, the first 26 don't mean much. Uh, What can I say, David? I believed him. I think a solid top 10 is very possible for the 10 team of Eric Almirola. And I think that would be a, a quality finish for that team. And that's why he is my contrarian pick. The SHR comeback begins now, I suppose. <laughs> it's 750 tracks. Who figured? We shall see. All right, another good episode. Episode 118 of Positive Regression. Let's get these playoffs started. Don't forget, we are available on all major podcast platforms, no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posrecpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating or review. This helps in spreading the word. We, of course, notice, and it is so appreciated. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Please ask us your great questions. They're always so smart. Sometimes we make entire episodes just out of them. Reach out to us on Twitter at posrecpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, I say it every week. You're always working hard. What do you got this week? I know you're working hard this week. We were just talking about it before the episode started. So let I us know. You There's got so too much. much going on. There's so much going on. First, uh, for NBC Sports, how does a team improve without actually getting faster? I asked that question of Drew Blickensurfer and Jerry Freeze to discuss the growth of Front Row Motorsports and provide detail into their season, which is based on a kind of improvement that we don't see all that often. And on motorsportsanalytics.net, a huge 2021 playoff preview will be posted soon, if it isn't already. It is comprehensive. It has charts. It has spider charts, bigger than the normal spider charts. They're super spider charts. It has a betting element as well as uh, looking into odds maker trends. And it's free for everyone and available exclusively on Motorsports Analytics. So please, I encourage you to check everything out because I am exhausted. Help the man. Read his stuff. <laughs> it is absolutely worth it and will make you a smarter person. Uh, for myself, just uh, make sure you check out any of my social channels at Alan Kavana on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. By the time you listen to this podcast on Thursday morning, thank you for subscribing. Uh, go check out the latest edition of Quick Hits, the video I do for Speed Sport. Kind of sets up your entire racing weekend. Not only NASCAR, we got the World of Outlaws going out west, the U.S. Nationals for NHRA, one of the biggest events uh, in the country for drag racing all year, and then some special stuff going up uh, in central New York and Oswego. We cover it all, all the racing coming up this weekend. Uh, we got you all covered for speed sport your nascar fantasy live team make sure you check that out friday afternoons myself and amy long helping you with that fantasy team just like the nascar cup series playoffs it is a reset 
for the fantasy live game. All your starts kind of reset. The rules change a little bit. We will explain it all on Friday. Don't you worry and make sure you set those lineups again. Just check me out on Twitter at Alan Kavana. Another good episode. The playoffs are here. Cannot wait. We'll see if any of our predictions come true. But for David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. This is Positive Regression. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.